Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, you guys, we just want to apologize in advance during the middle of our podcast. We had a little bit of construction going on outside, and so you might hear a faint drone sound or a little buzz, uh, but we're going to make our audio very clear for you to hear, and uh, we just want to apologize in advance. Thanks for following us and tuning into the Elijah Rising podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is Nick Long. He is the founder and executive director of Sharpen Recovery. Uh, And next to me is our very own Jessica Gobble. She is our recovery coordinator with the restorative care program here at Elijah Rising. And I'm so thankful that you guys are here. This really, this podcast was authored out of my lack of knowledge uh, in regard to recovery. Um, Jessica, we've become dear friends over the last several months and just seeing you and your passion for recovery, your own story. Uh, Nick and I met each other years ago. Um, his mother-in-law introduced us, and there was just something there about what God was doing in his life. And mm-hmm. you know, in this demographic with trafficking, Nick, I know you work with trafficking victims, homeless victims, uh, formerly incarcerated individuals. I wanted us to have a conversation about how recovery in these marginalized demographics, how those coincide, how those are impacted. And so uh, for those who are joining us and listening, I wanted to have a little bit of a a tee up. Um, And as a faith-based organization, I want to say this really is about recovery in the gospel. It's not about recovery in a list of steps. It's not about recovery in good programs. But I want us to talk about how God uses the gospel and those practical steps to bring people into holistic freedom. And so, Nick, why don't you just share a little bit about your journey? Um, How long have you been sober, the journey of starting a recovery home, and and how that's just grown and expanded? Absolutely. So glad to be here. Uh, My name is Nick Long. I've been sober for a little over six and a half years, and Um, man, I just couldn't be in a better place um, Mm. with just the excitement going on with what I get to do for the Lord um, in regards to my recovery Mm. and um, just getting to, you know, walk out my own recovery with those practical steps you're describing Mm. while, you know, believing the fullness of the truth of the gospel, being in, you know, seated in heavenly places with Christ uh, alongside you know, things like 12 steps. So, um, you know, Sharpen Recovery was founded uh, out of basically it was an assignment. It felt like it from the Lord. It was just, you know, he gave me clarity, you know, to have a Christ-centered recovery home for Mm. men and women and substance abuse recovery. We have homes for men and homes for women. Mm. Um, And we get to lead people to take those practical steps for their recovery get to hold them accountable to stand sober mm-hmm. um, and just watch the Lord get to just kind of infuse his truth around all areas of their lives and Amen. facilitate that at Sharpen Recovery is just, uh, I get to live out the dream. It's amazing. <laughs> so amazing. Jess, what about you? Share a little bit about your story with us. I feel like my grin is so big because <laughs> it's cool. It's really yes. cool. Um, I've been in recovery since 1993, mm. which is also the year that I got saved. Mm. I met Jesus through the 12 steps. Mm. Um, 
And I've been continuously clean and sober since 1998 with no mind or mood altering Come substances. On. So 24 years I celebrated in June. That's amazing. And yeah, mm. it, it's amazing that God, um, if I had known in the beginning mm. what he had in store, I wouldn't have believed it because yeah. it's been so good. And just like what Nick was talking about, having the ability to take the thing that I thought was crippling me mm-hmm. and instead have God turn it around and use it so that I can share good news with other people and share Him with other people Mm. um, is why I'm so passionate about recovery. Yeah, that's incredible. Nick, I want to go back to you because um, you're 27, Mm -hmm. 27 years old, and you've been in recovery for six years, six and a half years, and Sharpen has been around for... Uh, Not long after I got sober, so... yeah. it was it was it was pretty quick me getting mm. you know things turned around into the lord and then him kind of birthing that dream it was mm. kind of a quick process yeah talk about that journey like that the catalyst between you getting sober and then taking up the heart of the lord going i have to start something i have to facilitate for others the breakthrough that i've experienced i, I want you to just talk about kind of the breaking point a little bit and how god authored that new journey for you. Yeah, I was so grateful to get to spend a lot of time around a, a Christian man who spent time in the Lord uh, in His Word and writing to Him. And I mm. followed suit, you know, mm. had my own journal going and, oh, wow. you know, getting, um, you know, we believe that even at Sharpen in, in my own life that I didn't get just. I didn't get sober to stay sober, but to align with God's design and to yes. you know serve in with Him. And mm-hmm. so um, quickly, I realized that you know God had a plan for my life that mm-hmm. wasn't you know you know just buried in substances. And so I got to kind of see the light when I you know got engaged with Him in my recovery, and mm-hmm. He was quick to just empower me towards a mission that, Mm. you know, it felt so natural. It's amazing. Coming out of addiction and immediately into purpose and assignment, I think that is such a testament to not having to take years to recover or years to feel like, okay, now I'm at a place where I can be something to someone. It was just obedience and the Lord just paved that journey. I just, I wanted to honor that because it's such a big deal. It's it's not something that's uh, normal. For someone to like get delivered and then minister but it's it's what happened in the gospels it's what happened in the bible where they were yeah. set free and immediately the man who was plagued with demons was set free and sitting at the feet of jesus and they were astounded because he was in his right mind mm. and he's begging jesus i want to come with you and he says no go and the man proclaims in 10 cities it says he goes to the decapolis and shares the good news about jesus and so a man who was tormented gets set free and then activated to be who he is. Yeah. And so I just think that's incredible, your journey. I would love for you to share, Jess, because your journey, 24 years, but now you're specifically working with trafficking victims. Can you yeah. share a little bit about how God led you to Elijah Rising and just your passion for recovery specifically with uh, victims sure. of exploitation? Sure. So um, I actually started at Elijah. I had a passion for recovery already, and mm-hmm. I was in... I'm very much involved in um, recovery in my own life and in other people's lives, Mm -hmm. uh, carrying the message to them. Um, And I had a a passion for 
captives mm. and for um, trafficking survivors in particular, yeah. um, for women who had been exploited mm-hmm. and are being exploited in our city, mm-hmm. in the very city I live in while I'm living my free life, yeah. there are people still in bondage. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard, it was hard for me to imagine that and just continue to go on with my life and not do something about it. Yeah. So my cry to the Lord was, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And he brought me to Elijah Rising. Um, originally, I started as a client curriculum specialist. So I had a okay. friend at Elijah Rising um, on staff, mm-hmm. and she... I was praying about it at the same time she was praying and she reached out to me. Mm. And I actually had two friends that were working here that kind of reached out at the same time. And I was going to be a client curriculum specialist. So take kind of like a teacher and mentor Mm -hmm. was my position in the beginning. And the recovery part was not really any, any part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were women in our program in the restorative care program in recovery and there was a need. Mm. And so it just became more and more apparent that God was going to use my own lived experience yeah. to be able to minister, which is what He does. That's it's, amazing. You know, that's such so, a so yeah. Well, we're so glad to have you. I'll tell you that. Thank you. Um, so one of the things I said at the beginning provoked me is just seeing all the reports and news about the abuse of substances of addiction and how it really has become one of the number one killers, number one. Um, coping and numbing ways that people escape and and find satiate satiation other places and so i want us to talk a little bit about specifically fentanyl you know this has been in our news the fentanyl crisis jess i know you've done just some research on that i'd like for us to talk just briefly about that okay um i read a headline that said there's an epidemic of young americans dying deaths of despair and it was referring to overdose and suicide oh, wow. um, and I couldn't shake those words dying deaths of despair mm. and I thought about people living lives of despair not yeah. just dying deaths of despair but living lives of despair mm. and um, in December of 21 the CDC reported that overdose is the leading cause of death in Americans between 18 and 45 years old oh, wow. leading cause of death over COVID, flu, traffic collisions, violent mm. crime, and suicide. Wow. So that's crazy. 18 mm. to 45 years old is a lot mm. of people. And um, I read a quote from James Rush from Families Against Fentanyl. Mm. And he said that 41,587 deaths from fentanyl overdoses mm. in that age group last year. And that is like if we took an airplane and we filled it every day with college kids and mm. crash that airplane every single day. That's mm. how many deaths we're talking about from fentanyl. Oh my goodness. And I, I was shocked and I was surprised that I'm not hearing more about it. Now yeah. I have seen it in the news, but when you think about how many deaths that is, mm-hmm. it's just astonishing that, you know, yeah. we're not all talking about it every day, Yeah. you know? And so there is so much need for recovery, mm-hmm. um, so much need for awareness. And um, it's in every city in America, every city. And just quickly, I'll share a a story that I heard. I heard about, because I think we can have the misconception that Mm. people that are using fentanyl are heroin addicts who are shooting drugs. Mm -hmm. And that certainly is true. Most heroin now is, a lot of heroin now is laced with fentanyl. But 
I think the misconception is that it's just limited to that. Mm. And fentanyl is being is in everything. Everything yeah. is laced with fentanyl now. Not all of it, but it's in everything. Mm. And so the story I heard was about a college student who wanted to stay up and study for an exam and got some Adderall. Now, it wasn't mm. their prescription for Adderall, so, mm. you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a great choice that they made but they thought they were taking Adderall to help them study Mm. the Adderall they took was laced with fentanyl and the student died of an overdose Mm. so when we're talking about people dying of fentanyl overdoses Mm. it's not the picture that people get in their mind necessarily of Mm. a typical traditional what Mm. we'd call a traditional overdose so yeah I was driving through uh, kind of the southwest part of Houston uh, Manville Alvin area and a family um, had purchased a large billboard with a picture of their son, had to have been at least 17 or 18 years old, and the title was, um, It Only Took One Bad Pill. Yeah. And so what you're saying, I think, just speaks volumes to people who I think are subtly trying to cope or subtly looking for these ways to escape or to add to their lives in some yeah. kind of way, and we just we never know you know, what we're taking or who we're taking it from. And so uh, the lacing thing, I I know that that's been real popular in the news as well, that some of these dealers or or clientele are not understanding what's being mixed or what's being added to the drugs that they think they're taking. And so, Nick, one of the things I want to ask you, what stuck out from what Jess said, uh, deaths of despair. And I know, you know, working with homeless, the homeless demographic, working with people who have come out of prison. How have you seen um, that spirit of despair or hopelessness really manifest in people or on people as they're walking the road that they're called to walk into freedom? Like, how have you seen that in your clientele? That's a good question. And, you know, everybody's journey is a little different, um, but... We love to get them plugged in as fast as we can to the solution. Um, mm-hmm. We love to just, you know, get them engaged in recovery meetings, get them engaged in um, Bible studies and places where there's hope. And we we do quickly see people find hope. Um, mm-hmm. There are very few stories of people that stay in that place of despair. Sharpened very long is mm-hmm. really my been in my experience Mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of people um there's a lot of gifted people that are um you know struggling with substance abuse and so a lot of these people they're you know get the chains taken off of them that were the substances Mm -hmm. and now they're able to kind of hope for or hope for more one of our values is hope for more and that's that's just because we see and want to see so many people kind of leave that place of despair and mm-hmm. just and just see what how the Lord can use us and how He wants to use us mm-hmm. um, for His kingdom. Um, and when they see um, so often and sharpen, you know, the Lord has blessed us, and we're we're expanding. We're on a mission to saturate the city with mm-hmm. sober living spaces for the yeah. glory of God. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing our participants begin to be leaders, begin to be sent out to other homes to Come open. On for others and so we just want to bring them into the fold of hoping for more and seeing yeah. that um, seeing that turn to more mm, can I amazing. just say something too um, not all recovery homes are good mm. so uh, to hear Nick say that about the multiplication of this is so exciting because there's such a need 
for good recovery homes. And mm. so good recovery homes that are Christ-centered, I'm yes. like, <laughs> that are multiplying. Yes. It doesn't get better. I mean, again, the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> Taking the hope that people receive and multiplying that. And I, I want to camp here for just a second because we live in a world where people, they live in trauma. They live in pain. And e- even looking at the... Um, economical scope of the world. I mean, gas prices are up, the housing market. I mean, so many, I mean, teachers are not getting paid enough and students are just not being educated properly. And so we just live in a world that's so full of chaos. How have you seen the gospel, Jessica, really impact the demographic that we're working with? I mean, truly, they've they've sought comfort in having someone lord over them. They've sought comfort and pleasure. They've sought comfort in the substances that alleviate their pain temporarily. Mm -hmm. Do you have any testimonies of seeing people truly encounter the love of Christ that all those other lesser lovers, those lesser um, additives, really like pale in comparison to Jesus? Yeah, I mean, that is the testimony I would say of my whole life. (laughs) Um, And everyone that I've encountered because Mm. um, every... Um, thing that we are seeking mm-hmm. to make us feel complete yeah. is going to fail mm-hmm. because the only completion is in Jesus. Yeah. So, um, and I have seen people get free from addiction mm-hmm. and still be in bondage because yeah. freedom for freedom's sake is empty. That's right. So, um, Jesus mm-hmm. is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is true freedom and when he sets us free Mm. we're free indeed i was thinking when nick was sharing he's a hope dealer and um really you know we serve the god of hope Mm. who also is the god of recovery Mm. right the god who makes us remakes us and um so every time i see someone get clean and sober get free and set out on a journey Mm. of true freedom i'm excited because Mm. like i said the steps led me to the lord Mm. um i know that that's where they lead right recovery really only happens happens in redemption Mm -hmm. right and it's kind of hard to put into words how we surrender and win Mm. but in god's kingdom that's what happens we surrender and Mm. we win Mm. And that is the journey of recovery. And that's the good news, right? Yes. Uh, We acknowledge our need and Mm. our need is met Mm -hmm. in Jesus. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. What you just said, freedom for freedom's sake is not freedom. That is huge. Yeah. It's huge because I think we're all looking to better ourselves. You know, we're the biggest country of self-help books and like new ways to improve your life. And at the end of it, it's nothing. It's, it's. It actually feels like greater bondage because now I'm a slave to the thing that got me free. I think we are always a slave to the thing that we think made us free, which is why we're slaves to Jesus or bond servants to Jesus. But I think about the people that they need that thing to keep them in that place of quote unquote freedom. And just to bridge the gap a little bit, I I didn't think I was going to share this, but because I was sharing with you guys off camera, you know, even as a believer, you know, who... I would never say I was addicted to alcohol, but about three months ago, the Lord said, hey, you can continue to use this as a coping mechanism in your life and to numb places in your heart that don't want to deal 
with your pain yeah. or you can give it to me and we can journey through in relationship these places of your heart that I want to meet. And so for someone who, you know, had a glass of wine with friends or a cocktail, you know, on a Friday on the patio with friends, it's like, oh man, this actually doesn't benefit me at all. There is no benefit to this mm. in my life. So why am I continuing to partake of it casually and haphazardly as if it were doing something for me? And so I just want to encourage those who are out there, you know, you're probably listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, like I, I don't struggle with addiction or I don't have a substance abuse, but what are those things in our lives that Paul calls them things that are permissible but not beneficial? And for me, it was an opportunity for me to give Jesus even more of myself. You know, Jesus is worthy of everything. And if there's anything in my life that becomes comfort blanket or yeah, a place of comfort for me apart from him, I've made an idol. It could be a small idol. It could be a little baby idol that sits on your dashboard. It doesn't have to be like a huge one in yeah. your home. But he was identifying something for me that I, my eyes feel clearer. And I feel like, oh, man, why didn't I do that a long time ago? Um, so anyway, I just wanted to speak to that. You have a thought? Yeah, that just reminds <laughs> me that his name is Comforter. It he is. calls himself the Comforter. It is, yeah. Right? He sends the Comforter. Mm. And here we are trying to comfort ourselves yeah. when he has acknowledged that that's his role. Yes. So and I said earlier um, to you, and I'll say it again, when we are trying to numb ourselves mm -hmm. or comfort ourselves and stop our feelings, we cut ourselves off from good feelings exactly. too. We don't get to just numb ourselves mm. from the negative things mm. and not experience the goodness. And he calls us to fullness yes. of life. And yes. he is goodness. Yes. So there's not a way to cut ourselves off from that without cutting ourselves off from part of him. Yeah. I said this in our last podcast. God intends for pain to be a vehicle to get to him. Yeah. Instead, our pain, our discomfort, they lead us to Netflix, they lead us to binge eating, binge drinking, substance abuse. Pain was always meant to be a vehicle to go, God, what is this? Why am I feeling this way? Oh, it's because you have need. You're being hit with rejection because you weren't father as a child. You're being hit with loneliness because there's a part of you that's made for more community, greater vulnerability. You were made to be known and know others. And so I, I really feel like this, yes, it speaks to people that have been trafficked, people who have been homeless, people that have been incarcerated. But I love that in this moment, we're taking really the guys off of uh, substance abuse and really going, it's the good Christian housewife who has too many glasses of wine at night you know we all have places where we're seeking comfort apart from god and i believe we're getting to a place in the world where the line is being drawn in the sand and god is identifying i can either be fully enough for you or you can have these other things we can't have god in something else yeah and so nick how have you experienced that in your six years of sobriety just as a young man i mean you're not even in your 30s yet and you said no to alcohol and you're helping champion men that are two times, three times your age through recovery. How has that um, journey been for you modeling a life of sobriety uh, mm. among older people just as a young man? Man, that's a good, that's a good question. And I think, you know, I, I think of so many other things um, when I think of sobriety as well. Um, you know, even without the drink and the drug in my life anymore, um, there's so many other things that call me to, you know, find comfort 
in them and mm. you know so remaining sensitive to the lord and the spirit of the lord and just trying to you know just fast and pray and just mm. finding um you know where am i you know dependent and i want to always be dependent on him and him fully and you know i love the spirit of god i love mm. the bread of life that is yes. you know christ and his word and getting to just abide in him and i i i love finding things that are you know preventing me from the fullness of that and and mm. weeding those out and yeah. fasting uh fasting 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 like we can't say that <laughs> because it's like f- fasting to me means more of the lord and it's just mm. um you know an amazing place um so doing being real with the guys being yeah. real with the people in the houses and you know and, and just staying excited about the things of the Lord and the purposes that he's he has set before us and um, so it's a it's it's, it's a mystery um, mm-hmm. but it's um, you know us doing life with each other in community getting to truly just find the Lord trying to walk in step with his spirit um, mm-hmm. and just evaluate the things that may be a hindrance mm. um, doing that together even sitting here having these kinds of conversations mm. that's a miracle that's crazy because at mm. one point I was a chain to substances mm. and I wouldn't have been sitting in an air conditioning room with people dressed nice talking on a <laughs> microphone I'd be you know looking for the next um, drink or drug and mm. so um, you know and getting to kind of come from that place of where my testimony has gone with these others who have been there for so long, mm. um, there's just this connectivity that, in in allowance for uh, just these other types of conversations to mm. exist with mm. ease. And so it's like um, talking about the spirit of God with somebody who can also talk about um, what it was like then. Mm. Um, just connects really well with a lot of these, mm. with a lot of the people that we get to serve in the houses. That's amazing. Come on, dude. Can I just add on to that? Because I think one of the wonderful things about that I so appreciate about being in recovery, what you're talking about is um, always being in touch with how real and how um, scary mm. I my life could be without the Lord, yeah. right? In self-reliance. Yeah. And I think like one of the biggest gifts that I've been given in recovery, and I hear this coming through in your words, is knowing that I totally depend on the Lord or very quickly I can't go on. And I always think my desperation is a gift. and I, that's why, like I tell people, I'm a grateful alcoholic. I'm a grateful addict. And that sounds kind of cheesy, but it's really common to hear said because it's true. Yeah. Because my desperation has led me to such a closeness, like you talked about, abiding in the Lord. Yeah. That that closeness, like I have to live in the shadow of yeah. His wings. I yes. have to. Mm. Because when I start to get out, I'm so aware of where it can lead me. Mm. You both are like starting your own episodes right now. It's like we could go on about fasting and prayer and we could go on about 
desperation and how we need the desperation of the Lord. But I want to zoom us back yeah. in. So we, we've <laughs> talked about the demographic that Nick serves, but Jess, I want you to just speak a little bit to the case data of trafficking in regard to recovery. What are we okay. seeing uh, in that line um, with who you serve and who you work with? I had some numbers pulled up, but they're not right in front of me. So I'm going to go from memory okay? because I really do actually know this information. Okay. Um, I got some of them here, but um, I can tell you, uh, there are many studies. They're based on self-reporting, so there's not as much research as I would like there to be. Mm-hmm. But over 90% of survivors have been impacted by substance abuse or misuse of some kind. Mm-hmm. So that includes voluntary and involuntary substance use. Mm-hmm. And it includes their own substance use and the use of other people. Mm-hmm. So family members, yeah. buyers, yeah. traffickers. Yeah. Um, growing up in a home where a parent was absent and put them and so they were in a higher likelihood a higher risk Mm -hmm. um of being trafficked right so all of that i'm sure it's higher than 90 Mm percent but just the studies that i've seen is 90 percent of survivors can identify Mm -hmm. as being impacted by it so that's not including all the ways they're impacted that they don't identify yeah so that's just to me that's an insane high number yeah. right so trafficking people is very much intertwined with addiction mm-hmm. and the trafficking of substances you really can't separate them it's a wow. nexus yeah you know and so for me I think I want to what can we do for a solution yeah. right how can we address this and we can't address one without addressing mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. in to some degree yeah so that's part of why my passion is mm-hmm you know, so strong for this. Yeah. And, um, I, um, we're going to talk about this in another podcast, but, um, I think in the second one, but, um, I will tell you that there's this lack of, um, people qualified people in recovery mm-hmm. working with survivors of trafficking. Yeah. So there's a huge need. Yeah. And so when we see the impact, I'm like, let's get the word out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people don't know how they can help. Mm-hmm. What can they do? Yeah. You know, and maybe there are people in recovery who don't realize that they mm-hmm. have tools that could be really beneficial yes. to help survivors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, you and I talked about offline is understanding that a majority of substance abuse happens with people with vulnerabilities. I mean, Nick, you see this with homelessness. You see this with people that have been incarcerated. And so specifically with trafficking, Jess, I think it's important too that we hit the fact that children that come from poverty, children that come from um, uh, families of color, um, children that are uh, in abuse, one-parent homes, they're more susceptible to substance abuse because of the vulnerabilities. And so what you're saying is so key because I think, you know, we've encountered women that have been strung out on the street and they're being arrested for um, their addiction or they're being arrested because they're strung out. But really, these vulnerabilities have perpetuated their trafficking that have perpetuated their homelessness and so can you speak to what is needed as we talk about bridging the gap between the substance and the actual person can you bridge that gap for us yeah um you mean like in in the care that we do like in a restoration setting restorative care setting yes so um like our program the elijah rising restorative care program Mm -hmm. is uh recovery 
informed. Mm. So we're a trauma-informed program, but we're also recovery-informed. Yeah. We're aware that we are going to need to address the substance mm. issues, yeah. um, the addiction issues, if there's going to be fullness of life, yeah. right? Mm. So it's kind of like if someone is starving, you want to meet their needs, and the first thing you need to do, the first thing you need to do, is feed them, right? Yeah. So if someone is in the throes of addiction, mm-hmm. we need to help them get clean and sober, mm-hmm. and begin their journey of recovery, so we can get all areas of healing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's super so. Good. That's what we do in our program, and I'm hoping that it will start to replicate in yes. more and more programs. Yes, that's excellent. Um, I, I think it would be a disservice if we didn't touch just quickly on the 12-step model, the disease model. You know, there's a lot of recovery programs who really rely on the 12-step model, the disease model. And I love just, again, talking with you both offline, how you've seen what could be seen as a, um, a worldly or natural means of getting people to freedom, how you've seen really the gospel and the truth of God in those steps. And so, Nick, why don't you talk a little bit about the 12-step model, and Jess, I'll let you take the disease model, and just maybe share with our listeners some of the some of the ways you've experienced the Lord, even in a, a model that is deemed worldly. That's so good. Yeah. You know, so I, I worked 12 steps, um, got sober i still do um take part in the 12-step model i um you know someone said you know the 12 steps will save your life and jesus will save your soul and i i love i love that and the it's so hard to talk about the 12-step model without talking about the disease model but um go for it yeah yeah they're they're intertwined you go well i don't even know um you know, so basically, the I personally I, I feel I have a disease of addiction, alcoholism, and I that's the one of the greatest things I I believe I know is that I have that because now I know the solution. Um, I, I see the twelve step model as kind of like the medication for my disease, mm-hmm. um, and so you know while um, so I, I know how to take that I know that if I can save my life I can save my soul that's why I celebrate when people can get sober because they are alive now to you know hear the gospel and find salvation in Jesus Um, but there is urgency and we do you know want to you know share Christ um, from the get-go because he does relate so much to this 12-step model Mm -hmm. Um, and he really just brings so much color to the uh, to the steps mm-hmm. um, we have uh, sharpened studies a 12-step class where we have the steps in the scripture that we kind of bring together and get to share the scriptures that align with these steps mm-hmm. um, but for me knowing that I have this disease was the, uh, the one of the greatest things I've ever done because mm-hmm. now I have surrendered to this thing the solution um that can save my life um and you know 12 set you know it's step one i've got a problem with drugs and alcohol step 12 i'm i'm out you know serving others i'm helping another and Mm -hmm. so they they really just have this blueprint and this platform for us to really align with god's design Mm -hmm. and and for us who know christ um, it's so amazing getting to 
color in all these steps with the scriptures and yes. the truth of, of him of him so yeah that's excellent man thank you for that Jess what about you how would you tie in and equate with the disease model with that um so the disease model is uh, the three prongs of the disease it's the physical mental and spiritual aspect mm. so there's this physical aspect of the disease which is I have a physical craving yeah. I take a substance into my body and I react to it differently than people who do not have an allergy would react to mm. it so I take in alcohol and I have a craving a mm. physical craving that demands more and more yeah and it only happens when i physically take it into my body mm. if i never take it into my body i don't experience a physical craving mm. and i think i might have shared this with you before but i read a story about people who are allergic to peanut butter who crave peanut butter yeah that's they're wild. I mean, allergic to peanuts and they crave peanut butter yeah. and i was like oh it may not be unique to alcohol <laughs> yeah so um the cool thing is that science now has so many advances mm. so they can actually from brain mapping watch how the brain of someone who is an alcoholic or an addict responds differently mm-hmm. to substances yeah. than people who do not have that that same issue. Oh, wow. So now science is backing what was a theory yeah. for 80 something years mm-hmm. prior to this, mm-hmm. you know, which is pretty cool. Yes. The second aspect is the mental uh, part of the disease, which is the mental obsession. And that is having taken none in my body so being removed from all of the substance, mm-hmm. knowing the wreckage it has caused in my life, yeah. and being of sound mind in every other aspect, mm-hmm. I have this obsession to go back to it, and I use it again. Yeah. And we all have heard stories of people who are in addiction, who that happens to, and I think a lot of people, that's sort of what they associate. That aspect is probably the most well-known of the disease model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, if you were to give me a lie detector test mm-hmm. and ask me if I was going to use the substance again, I would say no, and I would pass the lie detector test. Yeah. I absolutely believed it. Mm-hmm. And then an hour later, I could be using the substance, yeah. going, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. And then the third part of it is the spiritual malady. Yeah. So in the steps, we say, I'm, the first step, like he said, is I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable. Mm. So the spiritual aspect is the unmanageability of my life. And I think of it as the inability to access mm. God yeah. because I'm so overcome by my disease. Yeah. So for people who already have a relationship with God, mm. um, they're not able to live out their faith yeah. because they're so... Um, under the influence of this disease. Mm-hmm. And so for those that don't have a relationship with God, mm-hmm. they don't, they're not able to seek out a relationship sure. with God or respond to God in a spiritual mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. because they're blocked. Yeah. So I think of it like a pipe that that's blocked and the spirit can't get through because yeah. the disease mm-hmm. is blocking it. Mm-hmm. So in recovery, you address... Um, the physical, then the mental, then the spiritual. So mm-hmm. you remove the alcohol, the substance, yeah. right? And because I can't hear anything if I'm drunk, mm-hmm. right? Or I can't do anything if I'm drunk. Yeah. So at least get me, get that out. So yeah. someone, let's say, would go to detox. And then um, at the mental obsession is taken care of as I treat the spiritual malady. I'm not able to take care of the mental obsession on my own. So I have to rely on... God to do that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And um, the crazy thing is I've watched relapse happen in other people in the years I've been sober, and I watch it, the way that relapse happened, it's backwards. Oh, so wow. people get 
uh, messed up, up spiritually, right? Mm-hmm. They lose contact with God. Then they start to have the mental obsession mm-hmm. to go back to the way that it was yeah. because they're not filled with the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And then they go back to the physical use again. Yeah. So it's weird that you straighten out one way mm-hmm. and relapse happens the other way. That is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That was like a whole mouthful. I'm but sorry. so good. So <laughs> it's yeah. really powerful. And so now I want you to just conclude that with the revelation that God gave you okay. concerning the physical, mental, and spiritual realities of recovery. Okay, so um, I put notes on it so I wouldn't forget because it's so good. I don't want to forget, but I might just be able to do it from memory. Um, God showed me where he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John fourteen six. Yes, thank you. John fourteen six, <laughs> And... Um, He was showing me that that is him meeting the needs of every aspect of the disease, physical, Mm -hmm. mental, and spiritual. Mm -hmm. When he says he's the way, Mm -hmm. he is the path out of physical addiction. Addiction makes us blind, unable to see any way out, any Mm -hmm. hope. When you are in in your addiction, it is a prison of hopelessness. And no matter how much destruction there is, no matter what the cost, you cannot find a way out. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus says that he's the truth. He renews and restores our minds, right? So the mental aspect of the disease, addiction, just like the enemy, um, it thrives in darkness, right? The enemy doesn't do well in light, Mm -hmm. right? Jesus says he's the light too. Um, It feeds on deceit. It whispers, go ahead and use. No one will know, Mm -hmm. right? It'll be a secret. It'll be just between us. And then it keeps you in bondage. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus renews our mind and shows us that he is the truth, he sets us free. And then it says, Um, that Jesus, the light of the world, is also our life, right? Mm -hmm. And he calls us to spiritual fullness and living, like we were talking about abiding in him, right? So the spiritual aspect Mm -hmm. of the disease is is met in him, the life, as we have abundant fullness of Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. in him. When we're in the disease, we have empty, like, chef, like, you know, just the skin of a life, right? Yeah. Um, But when we're walking with the Lord Mm. in fullness of life. Mm. It's overflowing and we get to do what Nick said and give it away in the 12 step. Oh, that's so good. I love how we can take, again, uh, a model that people have kind of cast off in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Bible and here the two of you are testifying to how God used something that was man-made to lead you to himself and just as we're closing i i love to just tie in the scriptures as, as you're saying and jesus said in john 8 he was saying you shall know truth and truth will set you free and so what we see it two ways that word truth is the word reality and jesus is referring to himself he's saying you will know me as reality and then you will be free and so all of these false realities these false worlds that we try to go to in our pain in our addiction jesus is saying know me as truth and as your reality and you can experience freedom and then the second piece um i've just been really uh eating up the book of jeremiah and i know that you've been there as well (laughs) and uh in jeremiah 6 jeremiah is prophesying to the people and he's saying your prophets and your priests have tried to heal you superficially they say peace peace to you but there is no peace and he says to you go and stand by the way look and ask for the eternal pathway 
and Jesus actually quotes Jeremiah 6.16 and Matthew 11.28-30. It's the only time Jesus says, come to me. He says in other texts, come follow after me, um, come be my disciple, but it's the first time that he directly says, come to me. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Come and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so that same place of I will give you rest is Jesus saying, I'm the eternal way and I won't deal with you superficially. I won't just say to you peace, peace when there is no peace, but I will show you that I'm the living way and I will bring rest to your soul. And so for those of you who are watching, those of you who (laughs) have tuned into this podcast and maybe again, you're not struggling with addiction or you're not in a place of recovery. Um, We hope that those of you who are have been encouraged, but we also hope that those of you who have been on the fringe and you've looked for comfort, you've looked for places of satiation apart from Jesus, we believe today he is saying, stand by the way, seek and ask, and I will give you rest for your soul. And so those of you who've gone to counseling, you've gone to different uh, mediums for healing, we believe that there truly is one way, one truth, and one way to life, and that's Jesus. And so you guys, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I feel like this podcast has been invaluable um, of us beginning the conversation about recovery, the gospel, and, and trafficking. And so uh, until next time, you guys, see you soon. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at elijahrising.org donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.